0: Welcome back to the What's Your World More podcast. Today, I'm joined with a very special guest, another strategist, another real estate mogul, as I would say, and uh, one hell of a podcaster. So I'm very excited to have Martin Perdoma on the show, CEO and founder, also known as the Elite Strategist, is a real estate investor, speaker, entrepreneur, and host of Latinos in Real Estate Investing podcasts. Martin has helped and inspired thousands around the globe with training and workshops. He started investing in real estate at the age of 20 years old when he purchased his very first property. Now Martin and his team own and manage 159 doors and are actively buying and selling real estate
1: across the country. Welcome to the show, my man. I'm excited to have you on
0: here and chop it up with you today.
1: Thank you, brother. Really glad to be here, man. I'm, you came on my show and it was such a, such a fun experience. We gotta have you back on. Oh, Thank man, you, perhaps. I really appreciate
0: it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because you <laughs> you go, you go quentin i got about 10 questions we're gonna ask you here and then i'm gonna do some rapid fire and we'll get off we got through three questions and we were like hey man let the time
1: go so, uh,
0: it was it was real man it was fun it was honored to be on your show and uh big things Thank you know speaking you, of your show hats off to you my friend i just was talking to you pre-show you know your your show is ranks in the top one and a half of all podcast podcasts in the world
1: man that's i just phenomenal. i just Thank you man I literally just found that out with you because you came on my show right and you were and my team was excited cuz they were like listen we're going to have Quinn and he's one person 1.5% in in podcasting and in 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 our genre or whatever uh-huh. and I was like oh that's exciting and they had a list of questions for me Quinn so 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 you know <laughs> when you came on my show my team they prepared this list of questions and were like right. you got to ask him this this and this and this about his podcast right and I'm like yeah yeah sure sure and I my intentions was that, right? <laughs> then we got to talking. We we got to talking, and it was like, forget that. Yeah. I'm going to talk shop with Quentin, man, because he's just such a, a a bright guy, such a brilliant yeah. guy, that we just got yeah. talking about, about economics and real estate. And, and, and then my team was like, man, what happened to the questions? I was like, I'll get that stuff later. I don't, I, I don't need to. I had such a great, great, great conversation with, with Quentin. You know, I I just felt smarter. But, yeah, they, they, they thank you for that. I didn't – I just – we, we talked about, as a matter of fact, last week, and we were like, well, how do we get that information? Yeah. And here you go, you shared it with us, and thank you so much for that, I really appreciate it. We work really hard to, to provide quality content and be consistent, more, more important. Yeah,
0: and that's the thing about podcasts. You know, you just got to be consistent in topic matter, and you guys do a wonderful job with that. And you know, and and, and talk to us a little bit about, uh, talk to us a little bit about investing in real estate. You bought your first home at twenty. Obviously, we love talking real estate on this show. One of our favorite yeah. aspects. Do you own all one hundred fifty nine in the same areas in a concentration, or do you spread out across the country?
1: No. So right now, we own everything. We own is in northeast Pennsylvania. Okay. About sixty percent of the portfolio I own. Myself and my family, mm-hmm. and the rest of the portfolio. I have a partner, Dr. V. Shout out to you, Doc, and she's a, she's a doctor. She's an entrepreneur, a surgeon, and she's love also that. she also invests with me. And we do we do syndications, right? And we own we own I don't know sixty properties, uh, 60, 60 unit. We own a sixty unit apartment building together, and uh, it's just I love this business, man. It's just such a fun business. This has been the business Quentin, that has. Allowed me, a poor kid from the ghetto, to, to that's always had a dream, to become, to create wealth and become rich, and it's been real estate that has afforded me that man. And it wasn't always this way though. When I bought that first property, it was, it was a, it was our first property. I remember, you know, this weekend. Speaking of that, mm-hmm. this weekend, so my other in law lives with us, right? My mother in law okay. lives with us. And so we take care of my mother-in-law she lives with us and we were cooking her and i on sunday and i said ma you know uh i want to just thank you and she goes for what i said you remember when we bought that first house in long island i said you get we use your credit we use your 401k (laughs) you gave us the down payment money and you bailed my ass out so many months when I couldn't make it because I was in sales and I didn't make enough commission just to pay for the mortgage, and you bailed my ass out. And I was like, Ma, I just want to tell you, I just want to thank you. And you gave my wife the three hundred dollars to buy my first suits when I first started in sales because I didn't even have a suit. And I was like, Man, Ma, thank you for that. It, we just we had a moment around that. Uh, I was remembering that. You know, I had a lot of help. I had a lot of help. I just ha- I just had this ambition, this thing inside my, my soul of wanting to be better. Love it. From growing in poverty. And I, I, I've i had help along the way, Quentin. I'm not going to sit here and say I did it by myself. Well, most great people do have a
0: great supporting cast around them and you know what a great story you shared right on the hills of uh, or excuse me right right before mother's day you know we'll probably drop this yeah. episode right after mother's day man so that's awesome and a great story and you know i've always mm-hmm. found that successful people are surrounded by you know a great supporting cast and other successful people and um you know it's good when you hear people pay homage to those that help them get there you know because sometimes in this world i don't think that's done enough so hats off to you again uh love that story like Thank you, fantastic. Thank so, you, brother. Thank you. So, talk to me about Thank real estate. You know, you mentioned a lot of things in that uh, unpacking. I want to go through of, of why of, of what you did for your first property, and but what real estate has done for you for our audience. Like, you know, all the time we debate. You know, I hear from people the prices are too high, or you know, there there there's going to be a cliff. You know, buying real estate is not the answer. You know, whenever you put these things out there, the first people to chirp up are always the haters, right, or the doubters. So, help for our audience understand why you believe in real estate so
1: much and the model maybe you just described there. So Quentin, that's a really good question. In 2007, I think we talked about this on my podcast, I was a mortgage guy Mm -hmm. and I bought my first investment. And in 2000, I'm gonna share this story with with you and your audience, in 2007, I was a mortgage guy, I got a 7.75 mortgage rate and I wanna disclose that because (laughs) the feds just (laughs) increased the rates yesterday (laughs) And and people are whining about the interest rates or so. High. I'm like, dude, stop it. And when I bought my first prop, that property I told you about, my, that my mother-in-law helped me mm-hmm. with, uh, we got a 9.75 percent interest rate in 2000. And then I got this, my first in, my my first duplex in 2007 was 7.75, and I was a mortgage guy. So yeah. we're talking 6.3. is those, those are not bad rates, right? Right. Not those are not those, <laughs> are not those are not horrible rates. But anyways, when I bought that property, I bought it at the at the at the peak, right? Mm-hmm. And I bought it because of I bought bought it because of FOMO, fear of missing out. Everyone, I was giving money to everyone. Everyone was coming through my doors, my office, and and I was doing all these subprime loans. And when I bought it, I bought it for two seventy five. Two years later, Quentin, that same property was worth one hundred and seventy nine thousand. So I'm going to just round it up down to a hundred grand, right? I was hundred grand underwater during that time of the last recession. I was about $200,000 underwater. I was literally using my HELOC because I lost my mortgage company. No one could make money in those times. Right. Similar to today with as tight as money as the monetary policy is today. It was hard to get loans then. And I think we're we're kind of in that environment today. Um, and so two years later, I was $100,000 underwater. I bought a quad last year, October, Mm -hmm. right? And the appraisal comes into my office, the appraiser comes here to grab the check. The quad is literally four blocks away from here. And I said, hey, Jeff, what are you gonna bring this property in at, right? Right. And he goes, I don't know, and he hands me a vanilla envelope. And in this envelope, there's a cop that's two doors down from that first property at that duplex I bought, right? Mm -hmm. And that duplex sold for $385,000. The one that was 100,000 underwater. Yes, yeah, and it was exactly the same. So the the, the that was a reminder from God for me, mm. right at the time, and we were. This was October, so we were three months into the downward correction that we're kind of in right now, and it was a reminder of the good old saying: "Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait." Because I bought that property in seven hundred thousand, right? Two seventy five. In nine, it was worth 175179 And 22, same exact property is worth 385. So when I look at those numbers, right? Right. I can mean, my renters would have paid down my mortgage. It would have been halfway through 14 years later. I would have taken the tax appreciate, the depreciation, all of the cash flow that came along with it, and I and I was up. If I would have sold it, if I would have held onto that property, one hundred and ten thousand over what I paid for in two thousand and seven. So historically, yes. Some you got the haters and the naysayers. Real estate over time always pays off. Real estate over time is very forgiving, and that's that's one of the one things that I got to tell you, man. That I that I love about being the age I'm in right now, forty five. I'm gonna be forty five next month. And it's that I've had enough life, right? I've lived enough to look at, to be able to study, because I'm a student of life, I'm Mm -hmm. a student of business, I'm a student of my own mistakes, and I can look back and say, wow, look at this and look at that and how can I move forward? So when I look at 90% of millionaires, are self-made millionaires around the world are made to real estate investing, then the odds are in my favor, brother. They're, my, they're just my favorite. Yeah, I love it.
0: Favorite. That was so well put, man. That was so well put. You know, the thing I love about that is because you described one of the things that I, you know, we talked about in your rapid fire questions on your show. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give young people in real estate? Mm-hmm. I was like, be patient. Because of what you just described right there is they'll make, and the reversal of that is someone that bought a home in 2020 and the positions to hold and keep it a rental, they popped all this equity and they sold it. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. sold it and you and I both know since 1941 real estate has only gone backwards seven times yes so that means out of 81 80 plus years real estate's 70 you know a 73 74 year winner and, and mm-hmm. you know three of those seven years were negative one so they were basically flat Real mm-hmm. estate always wins, and so I love that. I love that, and you know, it seems like you and I are always getting together after something comes out, uh, whether it's an yeah. inflation reading or a Federal Reserve meeting. And so uh, it's it's interesting because I know we talked about that a little bit as well. But you know, when I look at real estate and I think, okay, why would you not want to take part in this? It also does something different than what the equities market can offer. Is that you don't really lose at all on real estate unless you get spooked and you sell it because your renters are paying down the debt on that and you're leveraging that debt. And to your point, all those millionaires, all those people that have done and well, they've done it through real estate. They have an abundant amount of real estate. I mean, you look at Grant Cardone, he's full of real estate. Mm-hmm. The yes, whole portfolio. Sir. So it's, it's, I think it's a wonderful concept, and you know, uh, I appreciate you sharing that as well. So what do you tell, I noticed something yesterday in the consumer spending report that came out. What are you telling the generations that are 18 to 30 years old, looking to buy a home, that are out there, you mentioned it earlier, complaining about the rate, and then complaining about the prices. How do you counter that?
1: What are you gonna give advice to a young person for that? My my advice is, man, I think the same advice that, that our older generations will give us, right? Mm-hmm. It was expensive for them when they bought their house. I bought my first house in the year 2000, and it was $175,000, and I was making $50,000 a year mm-hmm. in commissions. And it was a struggle at a nine point seven five percent interest rate. That was a lot of money then for two kids, right, that didn't know anything, right? Two 20-year-old kids that didn't know anything about finances. We're trying to figure this thing out. And my advice is that you have to, if you're going to you gotta live somewhere, right? So so that's number one. And it depends. My advice is very different today, Quentin, than it was than it would have been five years ago. And I'm of the school, and here and here's 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 where I am with that. I'm of the school of financial literacy. Okay. I'm of the school of, if I had to give myself that advice, my the advice I would give myself would be, hey kid, go and get a duplex or a quad. Amen. Sacrifice right now for a better tomorrow because this is how rich people do it. Rich people, the difference between rich people, wealthy people and poor people is that Rich people have the ability to think generations down the road, 10, mm-hmm. 20, 20, 30 years, right? They have the ability to sit down there and think, if I sacrifice today, tomorrow will be better. I've learned that in life myself. Like I said to you, in 2007, during the last recession, I was about $200,000 in negative net worth. And that was because I had uncontrollable spending. That was because I had bad habits. That's because I didn't plan. That was because I wasn't strategic. I wasn't thinking down the road. So, my advice to a young person wanting to buy a property is it's always going to be expensive. Nope. To the generation that's starting out, it's always going to be expensive. What you need is a strategy. What you need is a strategy to create enough assets to pay for your biggest liability. I'll share the story with you. All right. April of 2020, middle of COVID, we were all locked down, right? Mm-hmm. April of 2020. We were on a cruise in Mar- on March of that. We were the last cruise. My family and I were on a cruise on vacation, the last cruise to port, and then they closed the country down. We got back home. Here we are in April. My roof in my personal residence mm-hmm. was deteriorating, mm-hmm. right? And I told my wife, you know what, babe? Our contractors aren't doing anything right now. I'm going to get, now remember, they couldn't, in April, no one could work, but it was right. my house, four acres I live in the woods, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. I was like, you know what? We'll get these guys here. And they'll, uh, no one's, I'm not telling anyone, right? Right. So my guys come out and it cost me, I got it for such a steal. I got the roof because no one was working. I got right. my whole roof done for 10 grand. Wow. And, and the thing is, the thing is about that is, where did the money come from and I want to challenge the listeners thinking right the young people thinking where did that money come from so that money came from my savings account right from my checking account wherever I had that money we use that money to pay for this roof so that house that I live in right if I didn't have other assets that produce income for me where was that money coming from then my wife and I would have to go work trade dollars for hours to go feed this beast of this house-hmm so my advice to young people if if you is go and figure out how to create enough cash flowing assets to support your lifestyle. I think, Quentin, that it's every man and woman's responsibility to figure out this money thing. Mm-hmm. We we live in a capitalist society, it costs money for everything. Once you figure out the money thing and you become financially free and financially freedom, means making a dollar or a penny more than your monthly expenses than whatever your total monthly expenses that's financial freedom for me once you hit that number then you could do whatever you want you got control of your time Mm -hmm. and if you can figure out how to create enough assets to pay for your biggest liability i'm not saying don't buy a house i'm just saying i'm going to challenge your thinking brother you're a smart guy so i want to chop this up with you i love it Okay, let's talk about this, right? When we think about accredited investors, right? Mm-hmm. This is something that, that dawned on me the other day. I was like, what's an accredited investor, right? You need 300,000 of income, two people, right? Mm-hmm. Husband and wife, a million dollars in net worth, but what's the, or a million dollars in net worth, but what's the key? You have to exclude your primary residence. Mm-hmm. Your primary residence cannot be part of that net worth. No, because it's a liability to you pay it off. Bam. Bam. So, but why do, why do realtors, why does America, why do, why are we told this false lie that our home is the biggest asset yet to come into one of my deals, right? Where I'm going to double your money in two years or three years, with one of my deals, Mm -hmm. you have to be accredited. Yet most people's largest part of their net worth is tied to their primary residence. Yep. I mean, just think about that, right? There's something to be said there. Who made these rules? The bankers, the brokers, right? Because they, they understand money. That's correct. And they realize that that our home, our primary residence is not an asset. It's actually a liability. That's why they say, no, 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 no. <laughs> if, you if, if, if your biggest part of your net worth is tied to your home, you can't include that to be accredited. Yeah, because I mean, until you pay this
0: thing off, The only way you get access to that is by borrowing and creating additional liability. And so a lot of people, they think that that's money that even though they can't tap it, they can't get to it, it's theirs, right? But until they pay that thing off, they're not free from that, right? And until they sell it, they don't receive any of the benefits of that equity. So to your point, that's why you've got to have additional properties. You've got to have that. And I loved what you were saying earlier. You know, I'm actually um, actually getting ready to create a segment. This is the first time I've said it out loud in public, but we're going to be starting a segment called Teens in Real Estate. And I'm oh, going to be I working that. with my children uh, to teach them how to buy properties, exactly what you just talked about. And we are going to go and do exactly what you said. And we're going to start when they go to college day one, we will buy that property, that quad you talked about. And we will move on from mm-hmm. there because there are there are to your point. When we talk about why do people think like that, I think it's passed down and inherently a thought process, Mm -hmm. you know, because in school, they don't teach you really even in college when you study real estate, it's commercial, it's never residential, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're not taught that your primary residence is a liability. You're taught that it's an, that it's an investment vehicle. And the reality is it's it's not, it is a place that you can tax defer some money and that's about all you can do with it until you sell it. You can live in it, enjoy it, but it is not an asset. It's a liability. And to your
1: point, that's why the bank's counted against you. 100%, One hundred percent, brother. One one hundred percent. So my advice to young people in their twenties or thirties is go house hack, guys. Listen, yes. I intuitively I intuitively knew this, right? Go get an FHA loan, put three percent down, buy a quad, live in one, sacrifice, guys, for the men. Okay, because I'm gonna speak for myself <laughs> as a man because I am one so I can relate to one. Okay. Listen, I had this idea when I was twenty. And I, it was not called house hacking then. The year two thousand, we I, I, we had no idea. It was right. not called that. It was just it. It was just an idea I had in my head. And I went to my wife and I said, "Hey, babe, why don't we buy a quad, and we live in one?" And this whole idea, right, of house hacking—we live in one. We rent the others. We live rent free. And my wife's response was at the time, "I don't want to live with anyone. I don't want to live with with right. with uh." Tenants da, 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 and all of that. So that might be something that you may encounter because I encountered it. So I wind up buying single family residence because I didn't know how to sell my wife and <laughs> I didn't have the foundation. That's the truth. I just right. didn't have. Most the, of us don't, I right? Have, <laughs> I didn't have the skill set to say, "Hey, babe." I was twenty. I didn't have the skill to say, "Hey, babe, look, we're going to be twenty five, and in five years, we'll be financially free." I, I didn't know that, right? Like right. I didn't. I didn't have a clear plan and strategy to sell to her. A path, because if I would have given her a path, she would have bought. She would have bought into it. I just knew that that made sense Mm -hmm. intuitively, right? So my advice to young people is: Hey, man, go and house hack. You may get that pushback from your lady if you're a guy, or you may get that pushback from your man if you're a a lady Mm -hmm. listening to this. But just remember what I said earlier: Rich people think think in terms of tomorrow. They don't think in terms of. They're willing to sacrifice. Make themselves uncomfortable today mm-hmm. for a better tomorrow. I I read a quote this morning from this app that I listen to every morning. um it's called. Uh, forget the name of it. It's called Alux, and it's mm-hmm. it just it's just kind of it, their, their mantra is where future billionaires come to learn. And mm-hmm. they had a quote this morning, and I loved it, and I reposted it actually because it's the quote was amateurs uh, amateurs work when it's sunny out. Professionals work when it's raining. Uh, uh, amateurs work only when it's sunny and professionals work when it's raining, meaning that the professionals do the things that they have to do because they know it's the right thing to do even when it's uncomfortable. And that's mm-hmm. what wealthy people, that's how self-made people do it. They, do the, they have the habits and the disciplines that are required to create wealth because they know that's what they have to do there. And that's the main difference between poor people. And I've been both, brother. I've been really poor. And I know what it's like to get your tax return and have four or $5,000, and that's the only disposable income you see. So you go and you buy clothes and you do this, or you buy a car, you do that, instead of investing it. Because you, the rest of the year, you're restricted with finances. You can't do nothing though. So it's like you get a little money and you're like, oh, yeah, I can go on this vacation, I can do this. And guys if you could just sacrifice a little bit that sacrifice will compound over time and it will pay great rewards in five or ten years time is going to pass anyways and it wasn't until i made terms with this quentin right that i realized time is going to pass anyways what am i doing today if that tomorrow can be better if what i could do to if if time is going to go no matter what I might as well do something that's gonna make me a little bit better tomorrow. Man, I Should love that. this. That's one or two things that's gonna make me better tomorrow. Next year.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. I love that. And, you know, we often tell first time homebuyers, you know, regardless of your age, you know, we see this debate where it's like, oh, the house didn't have that extra bedroom or or it didn't have that pool down here in Florida. And I'm like, good, good, you're not gonna live in that thing forever. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Get in the house now, live in it, and then move on to the house that you want. But establish that as a future asset at the point of purchase like understand that that's a future asset at the point of purchase you're not going to live in that thing for the rest of your life i mean statistics show us that and so at the end of the day just step up and buy the property you're not going to lose as we've talked about so i, I love yeah. that concept that you're saying there and it's uh it, it's wonderful and it doesn't fall on lost ears here because yeah. i know that we're all fans of it here at what's your one more podcast yeah. yo thank you so much for choosing us today we're definitely not done with our podcast but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor, and the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home. Maybe it's an investment property or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com, www.boemortgage.com, because it's more than loans,
1: it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. I'm really happy that you're doing that for your for your son, right My son just bought my son just bought his first rental this nice. month two weeks ago Congrats. Uh, three weeks ago on April 11th yeah, he's twenty just turned twenty and he's been working with me since he's been eighteen. he's one of my sales guys and he bought his first property and he came here just last week and he was like, thanks Dad. I really am grateful for what you taught me, because I had him wholesaling, right? I had him out there getting door slammed on his face. Dang. And he wanted to come up. He wanted to come up and I was like, son, you're gonna thank me. Yeah. You first have to learn this skill because if I'm gone tomorrow, I just taught you how to fish. There it is. You gotta learn how to get the deals first. Right. And then I bring you, you gotta learn this thing in stages. And so he just got his first, and I think we need to do, I share that story with you, Quentin, because I think we need to do a better job as a society. I think as a real estate industry, uh, us investors, the realtors, I think real estate schools, Mm -hmm. bankers, mortgage people, I think we as a society, as a real estate industry as a whole, need to do a better job of really getting educated ourselves on how Absolutely. to create cash flowing assets and how to educate people that are buying properties. Like, listen, and I sold properties in 2021 and 2020 when the market was piping hot here in the Poconos <laughs> where these so-called Airbnb people were buying Airbnb, these properties from me that I was flipping and they were giving me 50, 60, $70,000 over asking. And I'm saying to myself, okay, I'm a numbers guy. I'm an investor. How are you making these numbers work, right? Even at a 3% interest rate. How? Like how are you making these numbers? How are you penciling these numbers? They're not penciling for me, right? And I I I knew that in 3 to 5 years I'll be buying those properties back at a discount. Right because we don't have people educating those people. They did it because the same way I did it in 2007 because everyone else was doing it and it yeah. was the hottest day.
0: So that brings up a point. I wrote it down earlier. You know, you were talking about that moment in time was fear of missing out. That's why you made that purchase, mm-hmm. right? So there's a new yes, term sir. that we're using out there right now called phobot, and that's fear of buying oh. at the top. And so there is a lot of people that believe into that. And that's kind of where we're at. And, you know, the overpaying I agree with, that's where it is. But I think in today's market, you know, if you're buying a piece of property, one thing I learned from a mentor years ago, my father-in-law is definitely a mentor um, and, and forced me into real estate, thank goodness. Um, but what he told me, he said, Quinn, when it comes to real estate, he goes, where people get confused on the investment side, they worry about the rate and they worry about the purchase price. He goes, none of that matters if that property cash flows. That's Nothing right. matters. He goes because you're not going to have that rate forever. There will always be dips in the market. You can take advantage of it once you have that property, but you got to have the property first. And so that really resonated with me, especially as a as up and coming you know lender at that time. It was early in my career, and I thought to myself, Yeah, this makes sense. And you know he's right. I mean because the first like you, my first investment property I bought was in the sixes, and then next thing I know, oh. we had a dip in 2020 and 2021. Guess what? I didn't have that rate forever. My cash flow improved. <laughs> and the other thing he said was this: fundamentally, I love this part. He said. Quentin, I owned my first rental property in 2002. He said, rents never go down. They only go up. Yep. And in 2007, 2008, 2009, they, they, they didn't go down for me. They didn't go down across the country, by the they way. They went up. They went up and they continue to go up. They went and up. The thing about real estate, I think a lot of people miss on is that real estate is investment real estate. That is not your primary, is a asset that pays a monthly dividend and also has appreciational growth to it and the dividend on that is much greater than any stock single dividend is currently paying on the S&P, the Dow, the market at all. You will never find a stock that pays the kind of dividend you can get
1: on a monthly rental on a property plus appreciation. That is so sound, man. That 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 you know, you say that, right? Just just lights me up, man. Just lights <laughs> me up like a Christmas tree because that's the fundamentals, right? Like, hey, why we buy real estate, right? We don't buy like, you know, in um in 2020, 21, the market was piping hot. I host a meet up here locally, okay. I do a lot of teaching. And one of the things I teach is, hey, I buy personally. I buy, my strategy is I buy for cash flow first. Ooh, I like that. Right? Yeah. Always. I like that. I buy for cash flow. Appreciation is kind of a bonus thing, right? It's kind of a bonus thing if it happens because yep. I've seen the dips in the market. Correct. Right? I've seen it. I've seen so, but here's the thing, here's the thing. My family don't need appreciation. My family <laughs> only eats with the cash flow that I bring. That's how I that's pay the bills. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's how we take vacations, right? That's, that's right. how we do the things that we do. That's how I take my wife out to there. That's how we, that's how. It's not with appreciation. I was talking to my lender. I'm, we're in the middle of buying, and I think I mentioned this to you. We're buying a 12-unit apartment building, mm-hmm. uh, and we're, it's a million dollar upside, brother. I'm so excited about this deal. Rats. And, but, Thank you, man. It's so hard right now to get money, Quentin. Mm-hmm. It's so hard, right? It's r- very difficult right now to get money. So when we t- hear people talk about this, you know, that the money, there's money tightening, it's tight, it's tight. Yeah, Janet Yellen is out there saying that they should tighten more. And I think I think Jerome Powell yesterday said that the lending criterias are tight enough and he said, with them being that tight that they don't have to do much to more, more interest rate hikes because inflation will be tamed by it the lending criteria is being so tight. You're a mortgage guy, so you know. Oh yeah. So she tells me, she calls me, right? So the processor calls me, and I wanna share the story with you guys because it's right to the advice your father-in-law told you. Okay. Right. She tells me, I'm in Home Depot picking up these doors uh, (laughs) yesterday for a project I have going on. That, That same quad I bought in October. I got, some people left anyways, and I had to go pick up a door. And I'm on the phone with her, and she's like, okay, Martin, so, we need to. We have your schedule of real estate owned, and I just we have to update it because I've I've done business with them for years, and she's like, we want to just make sure that your rents are still the same, and sure. the values, blah blah. So I'm like, all right, I'll I'll talk and and do right and pick these doors out, and she's like, what's the value? What do you owe? And we're going through this, and I'm like, listen, Lori, I don't like I don't care about the net worth side, right? That means nothing to me. I only care about the cash flow side because to the point that we just said, I only care about because that's what I pay the bills with. right? And you know what she said to me? What's that? She said to me, this is why we ask about the rentals because we know we only care about what your net cash flow is, about what your cash flow is, because we know that that number is an elusive number. Correct. And we don't care about that. We care about can you pay your bills, can you pay how how well capitalized are you with your cash flow? And this is my lenders telling me, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer of, uh, if you've probably read the book, The Richest Men in Babylon, right? Oh yeah, pay yourself first. He who, yeah, he who has the money makes the rules is one of the rules, right? And when the money people are telling me, this is what we care about, it's like, man, you're echoing, that's what I care about. Yep. So we're in alignment. That's what you just said, your father-in-law told you, right, mm-hmm. years ago wisdom words of wisdom and words of wisdom we're seeing guys right now right now as we speak we're seeing guys that in 2021 and 2022 bought apartment buildings and I'll be buying those apartment buildings from those guys that only had only they got into Bridge debt uh uh-huh. right when they got into Bridge debt and they only had an upside of 50 dollars 60 dollars in rent increase yeah and now that the interest rates went whoa And they increased the rents that they were counting on. They were they were they were counting on cap rates compressing some more. Correct. And that turned on them. And now they're going to have to offload these properties because they were counting on appreciation and not cash flow. And they're going to be in trouble. Yep. And to your point, that's why the banks.
0: You know the the banks that are the, the tightening's happening in the commercial market, which that apartment loan is a commercial loan, even though it might go through Frodo Mac, Fannie Mae. And so the reality is that's where the tightening's coming from for that very reason, because people, most of the time uh, for our audience, commercial loans don't operate on the same terms as residential. You don't go out and get a 30 year fixed. You usually get an introductory loan that has a five year, 10 year, maybe if you're lucky, you can get a 15-year balloon, but the reality is they got a balloon concept to a more expiration of that introduction rate. To your point, these guys were banking on those lower rates. Now, those commercial notes are coming due, and they're going to have to refinance at a much higher rate, much higher rate, and mm-hmm. they're not going to get favorable terms, and that $50 that $50 gap they had
1: is going to be gone. They're going to be underwater right. on those rents because they're overleveraged. Yeah, they, they're not even cash flowing, and they're not even cash flowing. So, so I, thank you for saying that, Quentin. I just want to clarify that to your listeners. I'm talking about money being tight because I'm an investor. All right. of my loans are commercial, all of them. I buy everything at LLC, so all of my loans are are commercial and it's it's tight right now because we're, I believe we're in a commercial loan crisis right now as we speak. Right now as we speak, we're seeing, I had a 50, we have a 57 unit, in that mm-hmm. it took us six months to, I'm gonna give you these numbers and you're gonna say how, right? You're a banker, so you're gonna get this. We we bought this thing for three three 3.2 million, it appraised at four million, as it was when we bought it. What well, three, four point two million? It appraised as we when we bought it. Okay, we bought it with equity. When we went to refi it, we increased the rents. We forced appreciated the property appraised new appraised value with the new rents five point seven million. Dude, we could not find a a lender. We went through like five six lenders to find the lender last year, late last year to refi that property. Right, like it was brutal. Oh yeah. And we're talking about, we have $3 million in equity in the property. We were talking about like, hey, just give us 65% LTV on this thing. Mm-hmm. Just let us make our investors whole. We're not looking to to cash out. We just wanna get make everyone whole and we wanna hang tight and just cash flow and we had a hard time. Yeah, and you know,
0: the thing behind that is, for our audience, the way that appraisal jumped so high is that they did improvements to the property and they were able to increase the rents and the appraisal is based on the rent roll. And so when they increased Mm -hmm. that rent, that property jumped and that's why that went up so much and they wanted to get that money to make the investors whole on that at 65%. And the tightening is there. And that's where I think the issues are going to come is that that market, if you don't mind me asking, did you get that from a big bank or a regional bank lender?
1: We we got it from a a small a
0: local community bank, community bank. So Uh, we talked about this on on our show. You know, for our audiences, that the importance of regional banks that they serve is exactly who we're talking to right now, investors and small builders. They're there for that relationship banking, those relationship loans, and to do the lending we're talking about. And what's happening in front of us right now, and it happened again yesterday, when the Federal Reserve raises the rates at the rate in which they're raising them, they are applying immense pressure to the regional banking system, immense, in the form of lending and credit tightening policies, as far as what we're talking about. And then they force the hand of those depositors to go, wait a minute. Maybe I should be getting 5% or 4% on my money that's sitting there. And those regional banks can't pay that. So what happens is you have people pull their money out of the banks because they want to go get it. They want to go get a short-term treasury. They want to go to a money market fund. And it exposes the bank and their lending policies they've been doing because the money's not there. And that's why we had what's happening right now with PacWest. You know, PacWest is probably getting ready to go into receivership. First Republic got bought by J.P. Morgan Chase, which made the bigger even bigger. And what you're seeing right now are the big banks flexing their muscle they're absolutely doing it with the help of the Federal Reserve and taking back over the banking system. And what's hurting and what's going to be hurt by that is the the people like you and I that depend on those regional banks yes. for doing what we're saying. Yes. That is going to be a problem that's going to drive, because there's no way in heck you and I march into JPMorgan Chase, go get that loan. They're not even going to attempt to look at it.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because I wanted to ask you your perspective on it. So, you, you, you kind of Beat me on it. You you talked about Pac West, right? So Pac West is the next one on the chopping block. Oh. I, I we know like they're, they're next. They're next. But there's another handful of them, and this reminds me a lot of 2008 because in 2008 we had bank fail bank failures, but it was because of subprime loans. Right. Now we have bank failures because of interest rates going up so fast in such a short period of time. And so so your thoughts. I'd like to get your feedback, Quentin. What do you see? How do you see this thing playing out if we have another handful of these banks, which I think will? Oh yeah, it's I'm nothing. pretty certain that they're they're gonna fail. Like no, they're yeah. gonna go into receivership so, and they're gonna fail. So we got. What another, are your thoughts? What do you see? So the the reality is these are regional banks. So we've got
0: probably 150 plus regional banks, and we just had SBB, we had Signature, we had First Republic, and now we got Pac West. The first three of those are the second, third, and fourth largest bank collapse in the history of the United States. And those three, the next five, six, all the way down to 25, the next 25 through 25, don't even equal the size of two, three, and four. They don't even come close. Mm -hmm. That's how big those banks were for that to happen. We've got another one in bad position right now called uh, Western Alliance. It's it's a regional bank right now. And that's another Mm -hmm. one that's actually put itself out there to be bought. Meaning we're in trouble. Mm. You know the stock price on Western Alliance and PacWest dropped eighty percent, and then another sixty percent. Yeah, yesterday, yeah. right? Correct. And then sixty percent overnight, and so it's I, not a good thing. And you know it bodes the question. A lot of these banks where we're seeing the initial pop up issues are in California, specifically governed by the San Francisco Federal Reserve, which does bode the question, how is this being missed and why is this happening in the same region? Um, That's something that's going to have to be answered here because the pressure that these banks are going under and the scrutiny they're going under is happening in a specific location. And that is interesting to me because you're not hearing that yet on, let's um, take that back, Signature Bank was in New York, but for these other banks, you know, First Republic, SVB, West, Western Life, those are out there. Why is that yeah. happening? So um, I think what we're gonna continue to see is more issues. I think there's about 12 more that this will come about, and I don't think we've seen the end of it. I think you know the definition of the financial crisis, to your point, was led by real estate um, and led by the subprime loans, but it was still deemed a financial crisis. We mm. are actually, witnessing it happen again, right in front of us. This is a financial crisis yes, happening right in front of We can deny it. We could talk about it, not caused by real estate, this time accelerated by short-term interest rates and the position mm-hmm. it's put the bank and its depositors in. Now, the one thing I found interesting is yesterday when Powell took the podium, this blew my mind. They said, what do you think of the recent bank collapses that have happened? And his response was, I didn't think that could happen that quickly. I'm like, dude. Mm. Where were you? You 2008. Hello, where were you? Well, I'll tell you mm. where. You were an attorney at a, a firm, the same firm that that basically tore down Enron. Let's call it what it was. That's on his resume. The debacle of Enron's on his resume. And he's a lawyer at heart. He's not a. He's not an economist. And you know, right. I, I I get on the bashing of Powell bus with anybody. He's probably gonna go down as one of the worst Federal Reserve Chairman we've ever had. And and the reality is, this is this is just poor. This is a poor. Um, recognition of what's going on because they're going to continue to apply more pressure with these interest rates and more pressure to these regional banks. And if the regional banks can't afford to A, pay the depositors, the deposit money or interest that being requested right now, they're going to leave applying more uh, bank run type mentalities to the regional banks. And the regional banks are going to be looking to make moves elsewhere to do riskier loans to offset the interest they're going to pay to keep the depositors. And that's just another cycle that's going to happen that's not good either. So, uh, unfortunately, I see this continuing, and we're probably going to see it over the
1: course of the next 90 days, these other ones surface that we're referring to. Yeah, well, we're going to see Pac West for sure. I think in the next week, we'll see them go, go bye-bye. I, um, I would be surprised. surprised if they make, um. it, through, make it through tomorrow. Yeah, if I, I have another. <laughs> I have another question for you as it pertains to also the bridge lenders, right? Because you're mm-hmm. in the banking space, so like I'm, I'm, I have relationships, right, uh, with a lot of uh, bridge lenders naturally, because uh, my my time and my tenure in this business, right, yeah. a lot of different relationships. But I'm also noticing that even with my bridge lenders, they're running scared because a lot of their a lot of times they some of them have their own money and some of them. They sell it out to Blackstone mm-hmm. and those guys, right? And they they they, they sell it to Blackstone. And, and anyways, the way the money the money moves. What are you seeing there with those big guys? I was reading an article this morning. Uh, what's the name of that company? The biggest landlord in the country, the biggest corporate landlord in the country. They have about ten billion dollars. That they want to now deploy. Interestingly enough, <laughs> they want to deploy about ten billion dollars into buying more single family residents. Right. This time is just a weird time, Quentin. It's just weird, man. You got. Uh, you remember that article that came out not so long ago? I think it was a month ago. I think it was Blackstone defaulted on a half a billion dollar loan or something. You remember mm-hmm. that? Oh yeah. And and yet, so 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 even my bridge loans are my bridge lenders are. Are tightening up like I told you. I have this deal, right? Million dollars. It's it praise already. appraised, We got a praise. Pro forma one point seven. I'm buying this thing for two eighty, Quentin. Right. I'm only putting four hundred thousand in it. It's forty one percent LTC. Like it's a it's a no brainer with a guy with an experienced team like ours that has a proven track record. It's like, it's like it's a great deal. And dude, I'm I'm pulling teeth to get them to. It's like it's like almost they lost their logic. I right. think like they lost their common sense. So I'm like, guys, what is going on? <laughs> Without you doubt. lose your common sense because of like, all of this stuff happening out in the, in the, here with the banking? So what are your thoughts on that?
0: I wanna get well, your feedback. That on. money has to come from somewhere. So either some of these, you know, Blackstone's a hedge fund, they've got tons of capital. And the reason they're gonna buy more properties is they get it, they see the writing on the wall. You know, this is the old saying that uh, Warren Buffett has coined, which is when everyone's fearful you know, be greedy and be fearful when everyone else is greedy, or when everyone's fearful, be greedy and be uh, fearful when everyone else is greedy. And so what we're seeing right now is there is fear in the markets. So they're coming in, they're saying, listen, we realize there's a limited amount of inventory because the, the builders are not going to backfill the inventory shortage that we have around the country in the next five years. It's just not gonna happen. Not so, gonna happen, yeah. They're gonna come in, Blackstone, and they're like, man, we're just gonna buy up as many single families, and we're gonna control even the inventory problem that much further, and we're gonna send them up for rents because rents aren't going down, just like we talked about. It's a great cash flow for them, it's a great portfolio in their REIT, and they're gonna buy them up. But the money besides Blackstone, and maybe Blackstone too, that's not coming from a checking account. It's coming from a bank at some source. And the bank is saying, they're having to make a decision and say, you know, if I lend you $5 million or if I lend you $3 million, I probably have at least another 10%. of that. So I probably have 3.3 or $4 million sitting in deposits. And I'm going to run the risk. I need to keep 10% of that there, but I'm going to lend 90 of it out. But what if the, the depositors come in and say, I need that money and I just lend it to you on five years or 15 years, whatever it may be. And I'm tied up to held to maturity. I can't come to you and say, hey, I need that money back. So they're Mm -hmm. scared to death right now. That's what you're seeing. It's that fear in the market. Mm -hmm. And until, you know, the reality is the FDIC is broke. It's not broken, it's broke. There's no more money in that account you can go online and, and they'll show you they've got about 181, you know, billion dollars in there the reality is that thing got depleted right after silicon valley bank and the federal reserve came in and backstopped it until the federal reserve eventually says we're just going to backstop every bank in the United States you're going to continue to see the fear that you're describing i don't see you know Janet Yellen and and the US Treasury Department saying that they've said you know we'll will will as deemed necessary we will review each case. And essentially what she's saying is, as important as we think you are, we'll backfill it. If we don't think you're of importance, one of these banks is going to get the bad end of this. Someone's going to get the bad end of the Federal Reserve not bailing them out. And that's when the crisis gets bad. That's when it gets goes from from bad to worse. Um, but right now, you know, that's, that's what's operating, is the fear in the market. That's why you're having a hard time putting that deal together, because no one wants to let it out in case their depositors come back and say, I need it.
1: So what do you think, in your opinion, what do you think is going to calm the fears down, right? I mean, you know, at the time Jerome Paul comes out, and I think you and I talked mm-hmm. about this a little bit on my podcast, you, if we remember, I know you remember, mm-hmm. he came out in 2020 and said, we're not going to raise interest rates. We're right. committed not to raise interest rates <laughs> through 2024. Shit, here we are, 2022. He's raised them 10 right. times, <laughs> right? right? Right. These guys are full of it, but what is it going to take? to take that fear out of the market, to get these lenders to go back. A capitalism doesn't work if money's not flowing. Correct. This can't work if if we don't have money flowing. You and I can't create jobs. We're job creators. We're the ones that keep this thing pumping and going. We need money, right? I need that. So for me, the, the
0: simplest Sorry. answer to this is the comment of the fears is essentially going to say, "Hey, listen, we've reached our target as a Federal Reserve. We're no longer going to raise rates. We're going to remain calm. They that's not going to happen in the near future because their target rate is two percent on inflation, and they're they're not near that. And so if the if the agenda is to get to that, they're going to keep putting more interest rate hikes into the system, and what they're doing is they're they're data-driven, they're data-dependent. And then the problem with that is all the data is in the past. It's not in the future, it's not even Mm -hmm. current. So if you think of it, you're literally diagnosing a symptom from 12 months ago, and you're treating it Mm -hmm. with medicine, medicine in this case being interest rates, hikes, and you're you're pumping it in, and and it's unnecessary because that's happened in the past, where we are now. And so the way they derive these inflationary readings is there's a 12-month lag. And if they would just look at the current, Current reading, they were on course. Like they're already there. They don't need to keep pumping all of this in there. So until they stop, we're going to continue to see these fears. We're going to continue to see these woes, and unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Probably over through the end of the year. I mean, there's on the dot map. If you look at the dot map from the Federal Reserve, there's there's already people that vote on the Federal Reserve and other members saying they're willing to do a. Three different rate decreases at the end of the year. Powell said they're not going to do that, but the dot map says they are. So if that's the case, that'll calm fears. You know, it'll yeah, also that. it'll also kick the can down the road further for inflation. Uh, you know, if I, I you know as much as I don't like the way the Federal Reserve has done it, they are doing the right thing by attacking inflation. Got to get that down. But if they do any type of pause, that then leads to a rate reduction, everything they've done has been countered. Everything.
1: Mm. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I just, my hopes is that we can get, we can, we see light at the end of this tunnel soon because it could get really, really painful. And I remember 2008, 2008 recession was really painful for a lot mm-hmm. of people, me included. Yep. I just, you know, I got a little bit obsessed after going through 2008 that I would never go, that the next recession I would be in a position to win and I would have cash flow and assets and my family would be protected. And uh, I have to want to see, because I saw people hurt. Yep. I, I was one of them and I, I don't want to see that again. And hence why I asked what what your thought process is. But I think it could get it could get worse before it gets better. The market's certainly softened. Soften. For sure, Quentin. I was studying the market here in the Poconos. Mm-hmm. I just put out a market a market update for a real estate market update for the Poconos, and man, we've seen about a nine and a half percent decrease in values here in the Poconos. Interesting. It's 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 uh, it's pretty. It's it's, uh, it's. I I have a I have a flipper a friend of mine mm-hmm. that rents from me here back here in the office, and uh, two months ago, I was like, Hey, Nazir, how are you doing? Right? How's right. your How's your deals? He was like, Oh, things are great. They're great, I'm moving things, and I just put two properties in the contract. Yesterday, I saw him and I said, hey, Nazir, how's it going? This was two months ago, this conversation, right out here, right outside my office. He goes, man, Martin, I'm getting killed. He was like, I got five properties is sitting there. I'm getting uh. no action, nothing, no one's coming out. and something that happening. And we're we're in a great location, Quentin. We're yep. 65 miles west of, west of New York City. Uh, yes, west of New York City. And uh, we're 80 miles northeast of Philadelphia, so like this yeah. is a, you know, good great Little hub, people come here. Great location, people come here for vacation, and we're experiencing some. I talked to another flipper yesterday. He sent me on Instagram. He sends me a property because I just put my market update. I said, man, if you're if you're buying in this market right now, if you're buying houses over 250 to flip. 275 max. You're gonna be in trouble with interest rates and affordability. Yeah, you need to stay there. So he sends me a he sends me a, a property he just put on the market for 579, oh. and I'm like, dude, it's a lake house. It's a lake house, and I'm like, dude, you're gonna sit on that thing for a minute. I know it's on the lake, but you know, it's, you're gonna sit on that thing for, yeah. for a for a hot minute. Yeah.
0: And you know, and, and, and the thing is this, you know, we just talked about how amazing real estate is. This is one of those cycles where you got to be patient. You got to wait it out. If you have the cash flow, you can wait it out. If you don't, you're going to be in trouble. And you mentioned something else, you know, we both okay. lived through 08. And I like to tell people, I got the financial scars on my arms to remind me of 2008 and 2009. And I love what she said. I made the same. I wrote myself an email in 2008. And in that email, I titled it never again. And I wrote how much money I had in my checking account how much money I had in savings, what my 401k, oh, what my credit awesome. card debt was. And I still have that in my inbox. I sit at the top of my inbox every day to remind me what life looked like for my wife and two children. And it wasn't pretty. And like you, I vowed, I will never go back to that again, never. And I will make every sacrifice humanly possible to make sure that I'm in a better position, such as yourself. So when you said that, it resonated with me immediately. Cause I was like, wow. And it's, it's interesting how we
1: have the same mindset about that and how people that, that lived through it and made a choice to say never again. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. I know we're running out of time, brother, and I want to share this with you. Out of you know, I'm coming on my three-year podcast, yeah, podcast and career here. Thank you. And I've interviewed a lot of people. Where we just, we just, we just released our 200th episode, dude. Congrats! I'm not saying this to impress you or anyone. I'm just saying I, I want to make a point. I've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of people in the space, and I, I, I energetically know. When someone has lived through a weight and it was in our business, we were both in the mortgage or mm-hmm. real estate business, right? I just know. You know how I know, brother? How's that? The reason, how, real simple, exactly what you just said. Exactly what you just said. We that lived through two thousand and eight and were in the business, mm-hmm. right? We were in it. We have those scars, right? And there's this little, small, little level of paranoia. That we have not forgotten, right? There's this little of pa- little bit of paranoia that we operate with. Like, shit, I know what that was like. I, I'm not like that. I all of uh, that. You know, I, what I re- the common thread is all of the deals that, that that people that that I've interviewed that they purchase is always a little bit of paranoia. If 2008 mm-hmm. happens, I'm good because I'll do this, this, and this, and mm-hmm. this. If another 08 happens, I'm good because I'll do this, this. <laughs> and, it's like we have that plan, right? if another one like that happens and that that actually keeps us sane and that actually keeps us safe that's right because and then the guys that that haven't had that experience 2008 not 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 putting shade on them it's okay i mean it is what it is you, you didn't experience it like an investor or you were too young whatever the case may be those guys don't have a reference point to understand this conversation we're having. That's Like, right. dude, you wrote yourself an email like this shit was painful, <laughs> this is yeah. what I had, I will not do this again. Right. And I remember same conversation with myself and telling my wife, I remember in 17, 2017, when we were kind of looking at the next recession is due in eighteen, nineteen. Mm-hmm. right? We talked about that in my podcast. Hey, every 10 years, a cycle, Eighteen, nineteen is coming, is coming. I remember having the conversation, we were going to Philadelphia, my wife and I said, babe, man, yeah, we're good, but I don't feel good, good. Like if this recession comes, (laughs) I don't feel good, good. Man, I've heard that conversation a million times. Like, 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 yeah, no, we're okay, but no, like if we have this tomorrow, like if 2018 comes, I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready, it just needs to be pushed out a little more. I'm not ready for us, because I don't want to go through, I remember telling her I don't want us to go through what we went through. That's right, that's right. That's right, that's that we <laughs> we we hold that tight to
0: chest, man. That's what makes us. That's what drives us too, man. So, yeah, man, it's awesome having you on the show today, man. I know you're a busy man. I know you got to hop off here, but thanks for making some time for us today for our audience. If you want to learn more about Martin and his show, it's phenomenal. You got to check it out. We tell them how to find out more about it.
1: Yeah, you could you could find us on all the platforms, Latinos and Real Estate Investing Podcast. It is Latinos and Real Estate Investing Podcast, but it's in English. I had Quentin there. And um so so we we you can find me on on Instagram, the elite strategist. You can look me up on YouTube. I put market updates out there. Mm-hmm. I put weekly market, national market updates on my podcast as well. So if you just wanna just get your five minute fix on what's happening week to week with interest rates with with the market, I'm I'm putting that out there every week. And I also do something called the business brief every week where I just give all of the top line news with what's happening in the business world. So you could just you could find this let me up on Google Martin Perdomo the strategist, everything will come up.
0: You'll find three pages of great information on there. I mean, <laughs> he's all over the place, got with the top yeah. podcast, been doing this for 3 years, crushing it. Guys, if you like what you're hearing, share our podcast, five-star review, and leave a comment, check us out on all the platforms and also subscribe if you can hit that button when you're watching this on YouTube and then also check us out on all of our socials at what's your one more with the number 1 martin again my friend thanks so much for coming on the show
1: appreciate you thank you for having me brother yes, sir thank you i got one more shot i'm gonna make it one more chance i'm gonna take it i meant it when i said it now it's time for me to do it
0: i got one life to live so i put them all into it yeah